church. Let's take the copy of the, your copy of the Bible and find Matthew chapter 28. Would you do so, please? Matthew chapter 28. And I'm so glad you're here on this beautiful Sunday evening. And I thank you for joining us in our revival service. Matthew 28. And in just a moment, we'll read the last paragraph in this final chapter in the book of Matthew. I hope you've had a good day. And hope you're seeking the Lord and looking for the Lord to work. We've had a good day ourselves. It's a blessing to get to be with you this morning and get to know you all a little bit. Got to enjoy Pastor's fellowship at his home. And he and his wife uh, hosted Mike and me today. And we ate wonderfully well. We are blessed. If the meal today is a sign of the week ahead, it's going to be a good week. And uh, I'm excited about that. And I'll probably be a bigger man for it. Unfortunately, it's been a good, good day so far. What a blessing to get to know you folks and uh, to be a part of your church. My first time to be here was this morning, and uh, I'm glad we have these few days together. Have I told you folks about my family? I have a wonderful wife, and uh, we've been happily married for almost 23 years, and we have five great children, and I'm sorry they're not here. I uh, always feel out of place. I feel incomplete, and a part of me is missing when they're not here, but they've had a good day. They've been in church all day at our home in Florida, and uh, so I'm sorry they're not with me, so you just have to put up with me and Micah, and I'm glad he's with your boys and girls. Isn't that exciting? And I hope uh, they have a great service back there. Hope you'll take that seriously. That's not a babysitting time. Uh, Micah works diligently and earnestly and fervently on that, puts a lot of time into it, prays fervently for your boys and girls, prepares messages, and uh, we always see the Lord work. We, I pray often for the children's meeting that God will do a Samuel kind of story during this coming week. Samuel was a young lad, and Almighty God spoke to him, and he said, Hear my Lord. And the Lord spoke to him and gave him his command for his life, and God used Samuel in a great way. Wouldn't that be exciting if the Lord called one of our boys and girls like God called Samuel? And so pray that way this week. Expect boys and girls to be saved. Bring boys and girls so they'll be saved. And ask the Lord to work in hearts. He's a good God, and he'll use Micah this week, and I'm thrilled about that. I'm sure glad Micah is on my team. Well, I'm in Matthew 28. Are you there? Let me uh, kind of set a stage. Maybe a few nights I'll do a little bit of a series. I don't know. But I've been meditating a lot lately on uh, areas where we fail. Areas where we fail. Do you have any areas in your life where you fail? You know what it is to fail, don't you? You know the difference in a failure and a royal failure? You know the difference in those? Have any of you ever failed royally? When I was a boy, my dad taught me to drive when I was 11. And the reason I learned to drive when I was 11 is because we were farmers. And our farm was 500 acres, and you could drive on the farm. And I had to, you know, deliver hay out to the cows and help pick up hay bales and all those kind of things. So I started driving when I was 11. My dad was a farmer, but he also worked in a factory night shift. Anybody here worked a night shift before? He was miserable, and all of us were too during those days. And that was a rough time, those night shifts. But Dad... Dad taught me to drive. He'd come home in the morning, go to bed, and I always had a list of chores. My dad always had a garden about the size of this auditorium, not because we needed that much food, but because my dad thought his kids needed something to do. And so we always had chores. And one morning I was mowing the yard. Dad was still in bed. I was mowing the yard. It was my job. And I noticed under his pickup truck that grass was growing in the gravel driveway, and I thought it would be a noble and lofty thing to move the truck and mow the grass. So I went sneaking into the house, got his keys, jumped in his uh, Chevy pickup truck, 
That was the old three-speed on the column. Does some of y'all remember those? And I managed to get that clutch down, got that thing in reverse, left the door open, and hit reverse there and popped that clutch and started going backwards. And I made it about 10 feet backwards. And uh, just somehow, I don't know, just my you know, childhood, youthfulness, and, and forgetfulness, I never remembered that there was an oak tree beside of the driveway. And I was going pretty good backwards and caught that door on that oak tree and bent it the opposite direction of the way it was supposed to be. And uh, I, I really, really finished mowing. And boy, I was really praying because I knew I was going to meet Jesus in a few hours. And, <laughs> and um, I was really scared to death. Dad got up. He was all sleepy. He'd sleep four hours, work on the farm, sleep three more hours, go back to work. That was his habit. And he was tired. It had been a long week anyway. And I finally waited until he was awake enough to tell him. And I remember how hard it was to tell him, Dad, I broke the door almost off your truck. And he never said anything. Just got his shoes, put his shoes on, motioned for me to come with him. We walked down the steps, down the sidewalk, around the side of the truck, and there the door is, hanging the wrong way. He just looked at it, reached in his truck and pulled the back seat forward. You know how those cabs have a little storage area? Pulled out his sledgehammer. And I thought, well, this is a bit drastic. <laughs> and uh, my dad took the sledgehammer and began beating on the door hinges and forcing that door around and pounding it in the right way. Worked on it a good five or six, seven, eight minutes probably and Finally got it to where that door would open and shut. And you kind of pick it up on it and push it and it would close. You know, it would shut. It was workable. And I'll never forget, my father, after he did all of that, turned around and he said to me, he said, well, son, I guess you won't do that again, will you? I'm 46 and I still can't back up a truck with the door open. <laughs> that was a royal failure, but I'm a fast learner, let me tell you. Someone said the last words of a redneck. Hey, y'all, watch this. <laughs> That'd be a royal failure. If at first you don't succeed, one bumper sticker said. If at first you don't succeed, then skydiving is definitely not for you. <laughs> now, royal failures. Where, do we most, where are we most likely to fail in our churches, in our generation? There'd be a lot of them, wouldn't there? I could probably preach to you about prayer, and maybe I should, maybe I will, because we fail often in this area. We certainly fail sometimes in our families, our marriages, our homes. I'll preach to you maybe about that. If the Lord lets me go in the series, I've thought of many areas, but here's a big one. This is an easy area to fail. It's the Great Commission. Let's read it. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. The Bible says these words, then the, then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And you say that last word. Amen. Amen. One of the greatest failures in our movement is often a soul winning failure. Isn't it in your life? You ever find yourself going along as a Christian and 
really in all sincerity, you know people ought to get saved and you're glad somebody won you to Jesus. But isn't it easy to overlook the multitudes around us that are lost? Isn't it easy to fail to be a soul winner? So I want to preach to you about that tonight. Jesus says in this passage, he says, I have all power. That's what he says in verse 18. I have all power. Uh, It's mine in heaven and it's in earth. I have all power. And the implication is I have power for you. The implication is if you'll go and baptize and disciple people, I'll go with you and I'll give you my power and you'll accomplish great things for my honor and my glory. And you know, God does use people. Y'all are supporting as your missionary today, Brother Conrad, John Conrad. I love that man. I'm on his board and I love Brother Conrad. I've had the pleasure of traveling with him on many occasions. And he's not a preacher, not a preacher at all. He's not a Bible college trained man. He's a businessman, retired, wanted to do something for God. And so Brother Conrad started a ministry, the Carpenters Project. Underneath that, we have the Timothy Project. I think we're supporting, I don't know, 30-some young men around the world who are planting churches in third world countries. And under that, we have IBCAP, Independent Baptist College, Asia Pacific. And our college starts next week in the, in the Philippines. We have 400 students this semester. Who would have thought that a man like Brother Conrad, not a Bible college guy, just say we would say an ordinary layman, has been used of God. I've been all around the world with him, and I'm amazed. Everywhere I go, people have reverence for Brother Conrad because souls are being saved and lives are being touched because of that man. I dedicated. I preached the dedication service of Puleng Lupa Baptist Church. It's a little village outside of Angeles City in the Philippines, and Brother Conrad helped get the church started. There's not one church of any kind in that village, none at all, nothing there at all. No running waters there, no electricity. Nobody has a car. It's one of the poorest areas I've ever been. And there's a little church now on the top of the hill above that village, Pulang Lupa Baptist Church. Brother Conrad was instrumental in being used of God and seeing people saved. And that church planted. The Sunday afternoon I preached there, Pastor, it was a little bit like your trip to Belize. It was 115 at 3 o'clock. And I preached, and we had a great service. And, And in spite of the heat and in spite of the preacher, we still had 14 adults saved and 27 children. Isn't that incredible? Just because one man, one man, one man decided to live his life for souls. Now, you're saved, aren't you? On your way to heaven? What are you living for? Would you not be honest? It's easy to fail in this area, isn't it? For instance, if I said tonight, uh, when's the last time you won somebody to Jesus Christ? Somebody got saved because of you. Would that be awkward to answer? be a little hard, wouldn't it? What if I made it a more gentle question? When's the last time you tried to win somebody to Jesus? I mean really tried. I mean really put an effort and tried. Somebody you know, you want them to get saved, you worked on them, you prayed for them, you cried over them, you talked to them, you loved on them, and you would not stop until they got saved. How long has it been since that was in your heart, trying to see somebody get saved like that? You know, the Lord wants to use you. This is His commission to us. You may be a single young person tonight, a millennial. You may be a generation Zer. You may be a baby boomer. You may be the greatest generation. But if you're saved on your way to heaven, we ought to be the great commission generation. The world needs Christ, don't they? They do. How many people live on your street that are not yet saved? How many people do business with you? Your insurance salesman, are they saved? The lady that checks you out at Walmart, she's saved. 
the greeter at Walmart. Hello, welcome to Walmart. She saved, he saved. The person that came to your house to uh, maybe uh, treat it for bugs. Was he saved? It's amazing how many people are around us. The neighbor that waves at you when they see you, they save. Do you even know? When's the last time in your house there was somebody there who's not saved? And they were there because you invited them over to try to impact their life for the cause of Jesus. You know, one of the things they said about Jesus all the time. You ever read that? They said about Jesus all the time. He's eating with publicans and sinners, not republicans. <laughs> publicans and sinners. When's the last time that happened? Could, could the world ever say that? Could anybody say that about you? Can you believe that they have unsaved people living in their house? When's the last time you had a meal with somebody that was lost in hopes that they would get saved and you, and on purpose, did something to try, to try to reach them for Christ? Would you agree? I'm trying to get you to agree with me. Wouldn't you agree that in many times, in many ways, it's a failure in our lives, this soul winning matter? And so, I'll give you a few suggestions tonight. May I suggest to you, in the first place, that you believe sincerely in soul winning. Believe sincerely. Now, if I ask you tonight, do you believe in soul winning? How would you answer that? You'd say yes, wouldn't you? But I want, I want to challenge you in the sense of do it. Really believe. You know what I find in our generation, in our churches today? That we have decided that these are the last days. These are just the last days. Times are bad. Times are hard. People just aren't being saved like they, this is our phrase, like they used to be. You know, there was a day, some of you are old enough, some of you are older, and you remember the independent Baptist days of years gone by when a revival meeting meant hundreds got saved. Jerry Falwell, do you all know that name? Do you? Jerry Falwell did an interview one day, and I heard him do the interview, and they said to Mr. Falwell, they said, Pastor, when you took the church here in Lynchburg, Virginia, it was small. How'd your church grow so much? Dr. Falwell said, well, he said, we did a lot of soul winning. In fact, he said, we, had a, a, we, we, we prayed for a year for revival in our church, and we scheduled a two-week revival campaign with Oliver B. Green. How many of y'all know that name? Y'all know that name? And he said, at the end of that two-week revival campaign, we had 300 brand-new converts join our church. Can you imagine that? I heard that. I thought, is that for real? I mean, is that ser did that seriously happen? One two-week campaign, 300 people joined the church? Could that even happen? And you know, the sincere truth of the matter is, a lot of us, a lot of us know people get saved, and we believe Jesus died and was buried and was raised from the dead. But if we were really sincerely honest tonight, we really don't know whether we believe that Jesus would really save people like that in our generation. You know what we do? Micah will be in Africa all of July, and two summers ago, we went to Africa, and we had a ton of people get saved. Micah, Micah's a great preacher, and does a tremendous job giving the gospel, and everywhere he went, village after village, hundreds would come to hear him preach, and, and, and literally, every time he preached, dozens responded. They led people to Jesus, they started churches, they put together follow-up programs. I mean, it was a day after day after day of souls being saved, souls being saved, souls being saved. And you know what? So many people got saved, I was nervous about it. Not nervous that people got saved, but nervous about reporting it. You want to know why? Because when you're an evangelist in our movement, you have to be careful about reporting it. Because if I write a letter and say, you know what? We had 
4,738 people get saved. You know what our movement tends to do? Our movement tends to go like, oh, well, bet they're easy believism. Because we don't even believe it. We tend to assume that there's no way. And here's what we think. Well, you know, these are the last days. I mean, this, everybody knows we're living in the Laodicean age. The problem with that thinking is that somebody forgot to tell my friends in the Philippines that these are the last days. Because hundreds and hundreds are being saved over there. Nobody bothered telling our Chinese church friends that, that these are the last days because thousands and thousands and thousands of people are, are being saved in China and all over the world. Church, I'm just simply saying we ought to believe in it. Don't you agree that soul winning is all over your Bible? How many you know Proverbs 11.30? Do you know Proverbs 11.30? The Bible says the fruit of the righteous uh, is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is what? Is wise. So there's all kinds of lessons there. It takes wisdom to see people saved, doesn't it? How do I witness to people? How do I, how do I answer their questions? God, you've got to help me. That takes wisdom. But don't you also agree that it's wise to win people to Jesus? How many of you one day, you were lost on your way to hell? Can I see your hand? Wait, 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 good night. You, you were lost on your... Did you get saved? That's a wise thing to do, wasn't it? You are now a child of God on your way to heaven. <clears throat> I'm going to say that again. You are now a child of God on your way to heaven. Your sins are forgiven. You are justified. You are redeemed. You're a child of God. You will never go to hell. You are part of God's family. And the forces of hell itself can never change that. You're saved. Glory to God. That's a wise thing to do, wasn't it? Changed your life for all of eternity. Some of you, your family's saved because you got saved. Some of you, your mom and dad got saved because you got saved. Your son and daughter got saved because you got saved. It's a wise thing to win people to Jesus. Soul winning is all over the Bible. I, I like the statement Jesus made. Have you, you know this one? Jesus said in Matthew 4 and verse 19, Jesus said, come ye after me and I will make you to become. I will make you fishers of men, fishers of men. Y'all know that song, don't you? Is it true? Jesus said, follow me. Follow me and here's what I will do. I will make you a soul winner. Now, chew on that just a moment. If I'm not a soul winner, I would infer from that verse that I'm not following Jesus. Isn't that interesting? But if I'm following Jesus, He'll work on my heart because His plan for my life is that I become a fisher of men. Isn't that interesting? The Bible says this in John chapter 4, verse 35. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. You know what that verse apparently means? Apparently that verse means that everywhere you go, there's people ready to be saved. Somebody's got to reach them. Apparently that's what it means. Right now, there are people ready to be saved. They're ready. They're ready. Somebody's got to reach them. They're ready. They're searching. They're seeking. They're ready. Brother Self and I were in Poplar Bluff, Missouri a number of years ago. We went soul winning on Wednesday afternoon. We knocked on a ton of doors. We had cards of visitors that had been to the church. And all of the cards had a little check mark. We want a visit from the pastoral staff. And so Mike and I were just visiting people that had asked for a visit. We went down this one street, could not find this address. And so I stopped to ask for directions. A 19-year-old kid, heavily tattooed, earring. Just a, you know, typical young guy. 
and very polite, very gracious, but he couldn't help me. He said, I haven't lived here very long. Let me get my dad. He steps in a carport doorway. This man comes out. And the guy runs over to my car and he says, what do you need, sir? And I told him and he said, well, I, I, I can't help you. That's the only street I know of by that name. And if that number's not up there, there must not be a house there. And I, I don't know what to tell you. And I said, well, maybe God wanted me to come down this street because he wanted me to talk to you. He said, well, you know what? I wouldn't be opposed to that. In fact, he said, you're from the church, aren't you? And I said, yes, I am. He said, well, I know about that. And he did this. I know about that saved thing. He did his fingers like, I know about that saved thing. He said, uh, and I think I've done that saved thing. But he said, I'd love to talk to you. He said, I just got to go to work. In fact, when I was coming out the door, I'm, 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 I've got to leave now or I'm going to be late. So he said, you come back anytime, talk to me, but I've got to go. And I said, fair enough. Well, maybe we can come back later. And so he left. And he took off first. And Mike and I were looking through the cards and thought we'd go visit another one. I backed the car out. When I did, that 19-year-old boy is walking down the street. Up the, up, must have gone out the back door. I never saw him leave, but there he is. It's obviously him. I mean, that's him. No doubt about it. Same clothes, same tattoos, same earring. There he is. I drove up to the stop sign. I'm watching him. This doesn't happen to me necessarily often, but I'm telling you it happened then. I sensed in my spirit. There was no doubt in my spirit that God wanted me to talk to that boy. I mean, I think I ought to talk to everybody, but there was just something about it where the Holy Spirit of God just pressured my heart. You need to go talk to that, that young man. So I said to Micah, we got to talk to him. The Lord's really speaking to my heart about it. We drove through the stop sign, pulled over on the side of the road, left the door open. <laughs> You'd think I'd learn. And I got out of the car and I said, hey, hey, hey. He turned around, a young lady with him. He turned around, and I said, hey, um, I just had the strangest thing happen to me. I said, after I talked to your dad, I pulled up to the stop sign, saw you walking down the street here, and I said, pal, as certain as I am that I'm standing here, God himself impressed on my heart that I had to come talk to you. His eyes got really big. He took a step back, and he said, are you for real? And I said, well, as a matter of fact, I am. He said, well, goodness. He said, you're not going to believe this. He said, I, uh, he said, I'm 19. He said, you know, my family's a mess. Mom and dad are divorced. Mom's on drugs. I've been living with mom most of my life. And all of our boyfriends are druggies. And there's drugs all over our house. And it's dirty and it's filthy. And nobody loves us. And. He said, I don't even know if there is a God, and if he does, he probably doesn't care about us. He kept saying a phrase, and I hesitate to even repeat it. He kept saying, our life has, my life has been a living, and he used the word hell. Over and over again, he said that bitterness. Just, just you could tell, just was hurt. He said, I'm 19 now, so I, I left home. I'm tired of living with mom. What a mess that is. Moved down here to be with dad. It's just as bad. All of dad's friends are druggies and drunks. And he said, my life, and he used that phrase again. My, and he used that phrase. He just kept saying it. He said, you know what I did the other night? I took a walk. And he put it over my shoulder. He said, see that church over there? I turned, and there was a little white concrete church, a little steeple, just a tiny little smaller this platform building over there, and it was obviously a little church building, some kind. See that church, he said? 
the other night in the darkness of the night, I just had to get out of it all. And I went over there and stood in their parking lot. And for the first time in my life, I prayed. And here's what I've told God. I don't even know if you're out there. If you are, I'm not sure you care anything about us. But if you do, would you this week send somebody on purpose without any doubt about it to tell me you do? He said, you think you're the one? <laughs> I said, no, I know I'm the one. About 25 minutes later, he and I were kneeling on the side of the road as he was asking Jesus Christ to be his Savior. His dad came with him the next night to my revival service. It's a big auditorium. When I gave the gospel invitation, they were on this side of the building, the very back. And he and his daddy came down the aisle together. His daddy got saved too. Everywhere I go, there's people that are ready. They are. Remember that man I told you about in Michigan? For years I witnessed to my friend and he finally, I gave up. It's been 12 years since I witnessed her. God put it in my heart. He said, I'm going in the morning. And he did. And his friend said, I'm ready. And he trusted Christ. Everywhere you go, church, there's people ready. You know, it's easy to be hard on our millennial generation, isn't it? We say things like, well, my goodness, all they do is stare at a screen that we bought them. They all work for a living. It's because we didn't train them to. We're hard on them. But you know what I find? They're searching. They are. Our public universities are filled with tattooed, earringed, transgender confused people that need somebody to love them to Jesus Christ. He's the answer. Can I say it without being offensive? Donald Trump is not the answer. Bernie Sanders is not the answer. And Hillary Clinton is not the answer. The gospel of Jesus Christ is still the answer for us all. And the gospel will never go where you don't take it. This, this area is full of people that need Jesus. And you've got to believe in it, believe in it, believe in it, believe that God still wants to save and believe that God wants to use you, believe it. Every person you work with is a candidate for getting saved. I've got a friend in Wisconsin works in the steel mills and one of his co-workers is an ex-game member. He's heavily tattooed. He cusses like a blue streak. He's mean as the devil. He's, he's, he's been in jail and out of jail and he's one absolutely frighteningly scary man. My friend got a burden for him. He said, I don't know what he'll do. He may run me off. He may shoot me. But I got to invite him to friend day. Carlos, gang member, rough. Tat I mean, rough. So my friend took a flyer in his pocket. I'm going I'm to be working with Carlos today. And when the last bell rings, I'm going to invite him to friend day and tell him about Jesus. Well, just before the last bell rang, Carlos got ticked off and threw down his stuff and said, I'm leaving, and walked out. My friend thought, well, goodness, is this the devil fighting or what? The bell finally rang. The day's shift is over. He clocked out, stepped out in the parking lot, and Carlos is standing out by his vehicle. 
I don't know sure what he's doing. He's waiting on a ride or he's calming down. I don't know exactly. So my friend thought, now or never, walked up to him and said, hey, Carlos, I wouldn't offend you for anything in the world. But if I invited you to friend day at my church, we're going to tell people about Jesus and how you can have forgiveness and be on your way to heaven. If I invited you, would you come? He said, Carlos stood up straight and looked at him and said, well, what I want to know is this. If I came, could I bring my family? And he said, well, of course. And Carlos said, well, good, because nobody, nobody, has ever invited me to church, I just might come. And the last time I heard the story, Carlos had been in Sunday services three Sundays in a row with his family. Do you believe? Honestly, do you believe God could save your neighbors? My next door neighbor, that's across the street. They just moved in. It's an old man. His head shake. His wife's a frail little lady. She's got cancer, or not cancer, but arthritis, very serious arthritis. She can hardly walk. She loves Jimmy Swaggart. That's her favorite thing. She watches Jimmy Swaggart every Sunday morning. I went over and met Richard. Richard said, um, I said, Richard, you ought to go to church with me. Can I take you to church? Because, you know, I'd like to tell you about Jesus. I'll take you to my church. If you're not saved, I'd like for you to be saved. Oh, he said, I need to be saved. In fact, he said, I'm trying to get ready to get saved. I thought, run that by me one more time. He said, I'm trying to get ready to get saved. I said, Carlos, what do you mean? He said, I'm a drunk, but I quit drinking. I quit drinking because I'm trying to get ready to get saved. And he said, you know what? As soon as I can quit, and he pulled him out. As soon as I can quit this smoke, and I'm going to go to church and get saved. Because I need to get saved, but I cannot smoke. I said, Richard, for crying out loud, you don't have to quit smoking to get saved. You don't have to quit drinking to get saved. You, you, God help you with all of that. You can come to church even though you smoke. He said, but I don't think I can sit through a service without smoking. I said, well, then go outside and smoke. Could you believe I said that? I said, in fact, I'll just go out there with you. I don't smoke. My wife does, but I... <laughs> no, no, no. Goodness, if she were here, I'd be in big trouble. Is this being televised or aired or is this on the Internet? I said, Richard, I'll go out with you. He said, I don't have anything to wear. I said, well, I'll wear jeans with you. I don't wear a suit. You come church with me. You, you wear, I'll wear jeans. You and I'll sit together. And I said, uh, you... Richard, you need Jesus. He said, really? I could come even though I smoke? Now, you and I sit here going, well, duh. But apparently he didn't know. He came to church with me a few weeks later and got saved. Got saved. It's growing the Lord. Church, everywhere you go, there's people that need Christ. And isn't it a failure in our life? Jesus says in this passage, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Don't you agree that we ought to believe sincerely in this again? Don't you? You know what every church needs? New converts, lots of them. 
You'll need tons of new converts, just tons of them. You do. So believe sincerely in the text. He teaches us here to go expectantly. The idea is go, teach all nations, because they're going to get saved. You're going to baptize them, and then you've got to teach them to observe. Go expectantly. Give out tracts. Look for opportunities. Try, 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 try to win souls. Try. Have people in your house and try to get them saved. Go to their house, try to get them saved. Give out tracts at the bank, try to get people saved. Talk to people at the bus stop, try to get them saved. Talk to your neighbor over the fence, try to get them saved. You teenagers, give somebody a tract, try to get them saved. You millennials, talk to somebody you go to college with, try to get them saved. Try, go expectantly. I, I think, I think uh, one of the things we ought to do is pray fervently. Should we pray about this? Lord, it's a failure in our life. You've got to save people. How many of you, just sincerely, how many of you have family members that are not saved? Can I see your hand? You have family members. Shouldn't we pray fervently about that? You work with somebody that's not saved? Shouldn't you be praying about it fervently? I've got to go, so I need help. Uh, they need to be saved, so they need help. I can't do it on my own. I need God's help. And so I ought to pray fervently about it. Oh, God, save people. Pray about it. Pray, pray. Seek the Lord about it. Cry out. To, pray big prayers, church. you got a great church. You, I mean, look at this. This is a great church, isn't it? You have a good pastor, don't you? Let me try to say that. I think I caught him off guard. You have a good pastor, don't you? You have a beautiful building, don't you? Look at this building. Beautiful. Air conditioned. Say amen to that. The biggest piano I've ever laid eyes on. Fake flowers. Look how good God. You got a paid parking lot. There's something about it. You have a great church. Pray big prayers, church. Don't settle for, well, you know what? We're a nice church, and we got a nice pastor. We got beautiful fake flowers, and we got the world's biggest piano. <laughs> Don't settle for anything less than we're seeing a lot of people saved. Don't settle for anything less. And look what God did. God's changing their life. Look, that guy got saved. God's changing his life. She got saved. God's changing her life. Look over there. They just got saved. God's changing their life. That they just got saved. God, they got saved a year ago. They got saved two years ago. Look, look at, you know what? That's God's plan for church. Believe sincerely. Go expectantly. Pray fervently. Let me give you one more. Win people to Jesus and bring them patiently along. Teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. That's verse 20. Teach them teach them. You know, I'm 46, and I always hate saying that, because I'm at that age of my life where the teenagers are surprised I'm standing. Like, wow, he's 46. He's getting really old. I, I was joking with somebody this morning. Uh, one of the, I think it was you guys back there, wasn't it? I was talking about the Bible says that the glory of a young man is their strength, and the beauty of an old man is the gray hair. So I said to the boys, I got them both. <laughs> and, and whether or not I do, I guess, is debatable. The gray hair is not. It's coming. But, you know, ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I'm 46. And I, I remember a time when I first started evangelism. I could preach the gospel in 
just give it real simple and people get saved and boy, start growing right away. Because a lot of people in those days knew a lot about the Bible and church. We've come a long ways in these 30 plus years. The average person gets saved today, the baggage in their life is astronomical, isn't it? They got so far to go, it's startling. And sometimes in our churches, we don't know how to help them. We really don't. They dress in ways we're startled, and they live in ways we're startled. I was in a church in Long Island, New York some months ago, and, and um, <laughs> pastor said, Dave, I need some advice. Well, sure, I can give you that. He said, do you know that couple up on the front that's obviously new converts? Well, yeah. You, you know what I mean? When you're around a person, they obviously just got saved, and they just they love the Lord, they love the singing, they love the preaching, they respond to everything. They're just on the edge of their seat. They're like frantically looking in their Bible. They're just like, wow, oh my word, God saved me, and I just can't believe it. I'm just so amazed. I'm on my way to heaven. I just can't believe it. This is so wonderful. You know what I mean by that? A new convert? They were obviously like that. They sat right where you are. Every service. And man, they were on the, they were like, wow. And it didn't matter what I preached. I mean, it was just, they just were like, wow. They're, they're a whole week. Pastor said, Dave, that couple wants to join my church and get baptized. And I'm thinking, good, this is good. He said, but I got a problem, Brother Dave. What's the problem? He said, they're living together. And they have two kids. I'm thinking to myself, well, I can solve this. Marry them. <laughs> Do you take him? Do you take her? All right, now join this church. Let's grow in the Lord. Let's get at it. He said, I can't marry them. Because she's married. To a guy across town who's living with a woman, they got several kids. He's married to a woman here in town who's living with a guy, and they got several kids. He said, now, Brother Young, what would you do? <laughs> so I thought for a moment, and I said, well, here's what I'd do. I'd resign this church and go into evangelism. <laughs> Pastor Ray, it's all yours, brother. I don't know. How do you answer that question? Is there an, I don't know. How in the world? How in the world? What, what? I don't know what you do. I have no idea. I've read my Bible cover to cover. I don't know how many times. I've been to seminary. I still don't know. I don't have a clue. What do you do? The only thing I don't do is love them and pray up a storm. I mean, Lord, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. That's what you got to deal with. You're going to be a soul winning church. You might as well just get ready to love people, take them where they are, and do the best you can. Really? That's all you can do? Keep on loving them? I mean, would you say divorce them, marry? I don't know. There, Pastor, I've looked all over the Bible for the answer. I don't know. It's no wonder you don't have any hair. I, I mean... Trying to pastor in this generation? How do you answer the issues of our day? I don't know. But I do know this, that Almighty God in heaven wants you as a church to succeed in this area. To turn this world upside down with the gospel. To win people to, to Jesus and to take their messes and grow them. And love them. And take them where they are and help them try to figure out to the best of your ability what the Bible says about their issues and my father-in-law, who pastored for 47 years in the same church, said to me one day, Dave, 
in our generation, sometimes you have to see where you can be biblical, and if they don't have a Bible answer, be as practical as you can and pray up a storm. And, and I watched him do it many times. Church, are you a failure when it comes to this area? I was in a service recently with a missionary from Mongolia. His presentation spoke to my heart. He got saved when he was my age. He was 46, and he was in jail. Got saved in jail. His family's mess, and his life's a mess, but he came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I'll give the rest of my life to serve you. One of his family members was in Mongolia. He went to Mongolia to visit his family members and said his first morning in Mongolia was 30 below zero. He was in a motel in the capital city, and he got out of bed, and he looked out the window. And he noticed out in the street, the manhole cover to the sewage system was moving. And he looked out, and sure enough, it opened. And he counted 30-plus children that crawled out of the sewage system into 30-degree weather, 30 below zero weather. Here's what he said. He's from Tennessee, and he's a missionary in Mongolia, but he has a Tennessee accent. He said, church, it broke my heart. He said a few days later, he was traveling through the Gobi Desert. He stopped at one of those girds. You may be familiar with that. And the translator that was with him introduced him to a young lady, and he talked to her about Jesus, and she had never heard the name of Jesus. He said, church, it broke my heart. I close my message tonight. Because you know what I think is one of the major issues of our churches today? Almost none of us have a broken heart. Some of you, it's your grandkids. But you don't have a broken heart. Your neighbor's lost. But our hearts aren't broken. How long has it been since you had a broken heart? Would you just find out and agree with me that we do need a revival in this area? Shouldn't we kneel tonight and say, Lord... It's been a long time since I really have been brokenhearted over souls. And this revival campaign, if you'll help me, God, I'll start doing my part to try to see people saved. How many of you grandparents are concerned about your grandkids? Would you, would you seek the Lord about it tonight and say, Lord, you've got to help me to know how to impact my grandchildren? How many of you have a neighbor? God, you've got to help me to reach my neighbor. Somebody's dad or mom, or brother or sister, son or daughter, aunt or uncle. I'll never forget his words. Church, it broke my heart. You know what I've been praying for me lately? God, break my heart again. Break my heart. Help me to see people as souls that you love. Help me to be a soul.
Would you join me? Would you pray it tonight? If you get nothing else out of our revival, would you ask Almighty God to use you to again be a soul winner? If you died tonight, do you know for sure that you'd go to heaven? Is there anybody at all in our room that you know that you need Jesus in your life? You know you're not saved? I'll be at the front. My name is Dave. If you'd let me pray with you, I'd be happy to lead you to Jesus tonight. He's a wonderful Savior. He'll forgive your sins and give you everlasting life. Nobody but us. How many of you would say, David, I'm just going to be straight up honest. Yeah, God's speaking to my heart. Can I see your hand? How many of you that would be true in your life, would it? How many of you would say, David, I'm thinking about a specific soul that I'd love to see saved. Anybody like that tonight? Anybody that way tonight? Let's ask the Lord to fill us with his power. Let's ask God for revival, okay? Simple message tonight, I know. Nothing new, nothing deep, nothing that shocked you. 